Hello, and welcome to the Week 11 edition of Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. I'm your host, Rich Savini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. Thanks for joining us. I know these are tough times to be a Jets fan. You knew this season would be tough, but this team is testing your loyalty in ways you probably never imagined. Another blowout loss, this time 45-17 to to the Bills. We've got a quarterback issue. We've got a defensive meltdown of epic proportions, and I promise to touch on all that. But first, let me promo our guest. This week, we have one of the greatest pass rushers in the history of the sport, former Jet John Abraham. He doesn't do a lot of interviews, but he's kind enough to join us, and we'll have him in the second segment. So after Sunday's game, we're walking from the press box to the interview area, a long walk around the stadium that takes us past the Coaches Club, which is the high-end lounge in the stadium. Um, really nice, nice club section, club suite. So we're walking past fans who are leaving the Coaches Club, and we, you just see the look of frustration and disgust on their faces. And I was walking with another writer past this, and he made an excellent point. He said, there was a time when a blowout loss seemed shocking like the sky was falling. And now it just seems like the norm as if everybody is numb to it. That's a bad, bad place to be for any sports franchise. But the Jets reside in that place right now. They've been blown out the last four games, last four losses, uh, the last four games, they've allowed 175 points. People, that is the second most points allowed in any four-game stretch since the merger. I'm, I'm not talking just Jets here. I'm talking the entire NFL. So that's quite a statement there. The Jets are getting their butts kicked week after week, and it's like they can't even fight back. Their overall point differential is minus 135. That's worse. They're on pace to be worse than last year under Gase, worse than 96 under Kotite. At this rate, they'll wind up as the worst in Jet history. I want to get into the quarterback situation because that's always a hot topic. But first, I just want to stay on this defense, uh, which is, quite frankly, the worst I've seen. This defense doesn't do anything well. It can't hang its hat on anything. Can't stop the run. Can't rush the passer. Can't create takeaways. Obviously, Robert Sala will get the brunt of the criticism. He's a defensive-minded coach. It's his baby. Yeah, Jeff Albrecht calls the plays, but it's Salah's, it's Salah's thing. It's his defense, and it's happening on his watch. Now, Sunday was a classic case of being married to a system and refusing to adjust. We all know the Jets are a single high-safety defense that comes in different forms, cover three, cover one, with a deep safety you know, in, in the middle, deep the post of the field. And against the Bills... With Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs, they really needed two safeties to prevent explosive plays. I mean, the Bills don't run the ball hardly at all. So there was really no harm in playing two deep safeties, a look that actually has given the Bills some problems this year. But Sala and Albrook stayed with their one safety scheme on 21 out of 30 dropbacks, according to our ESPN stats. Uh, basically, they played what they usually play, and it put their young corners in some difficult positions. They could have also put Bryce Hall on Diggs. Hall is good, and they could have had him shadow him all over the fields, but Salah said he didn't want to go down that road. It's not what they do on their defense, and so the defense gets torched. Uh, you have to be able to adjust to your personnel. You can't just be married to one system. 
So that goes into it. But this goes beyond coaching. Joe Douglas has to take a lot of the blame here, too, because by and large, this is the defense he put together. They haven't been crushed by injuries, so they're playing with their guys. They've lost two key guys, Carl Lawson and Marcus May. You know, yeah, Lawson's injury was big, no doubt about it. But it's not like they lost Lawrence Taylor. And May is a good safety, but he's not Ed Reed. And other than those two, I mean, these are the cornerbacks they wanted. Hall, Eccles, Carter, and Guidry. I think Hall is a keeper. Carter's been okay. The rest, forget it. They're hurting out safety. And yeah, they did lose LaMarcus Joyner in the first game, but he was just a stopgap guy. The plan was to promote Ashton Davis at some point. And now Davis is playing, and you're thinking, the Jets might have blown a third-round pick last year. These are the linebackers they wanted. Jared Davis has been a disappointment since returning to the lineup. The defensive line is overrated. They gave all that money to John Franklin Myers, and now he's like he's in the witness protection program. We don't hear from him anymore. Now, the Jets will have four draft picks in the top 50 or so, and Douglas needs to go heavy on defense, the way he went heavy on offense in this past draft. You can't expect to draft guys in the fifth and sixth round and have them come in and be impact players. They need a corner, a safety, maybe two safeties. They need two linebackers and, yes, an edge rusher because, you know, Lawson, he's coming off an Achilles injury, so who knows when he'll be back to 100%. So if the draft were held today, they'd have the third and seventh picks. Obviously, Oregon pass rusher Kayvon Thibodeau is the guy you want. He probably won't be there at three. I think you have to look long and hard about Michigan's Aiden Hutchinson. He reminds me of Nick Bosa. Now, they have a ton of money invested in that defensive line, especially after the JF, JFM contract, but it would be hard to pass up, pass up Hutchinson or Thibodeau if they fall. Salah needs an edge rusher, and they don't have one. Now, Douglas is going to have to spend some money in free agency for some quick fixes. The Jets have about $52 million in projected cap room, so there will be enough flexibility to bring in some proven starters on defense. We all know he doesn't like to spend big money in free agency, so it'll be interesting to see if he takes the plunge. Desperation makes GMs do things out of character and make no mistake. The Jets are desperate. They cannot compete with this defense. Now, let's get to the quarterback situation. The only move here now is to go back to Zach Wilson, assuming his knee is good. I truly believe Salah was willing to ride it out with White to go with the hot hand, but that hand got bit by a nasty Buffalo defense on Sunday. It was a rough day with four interceptions, three in the third quarter. He was forcing passes. He, he got away from what made him so good against the Bengals a couple of weeks ago. He was he was not making the smart decisions. I think he was a little confused by the safety rotations that the Bills were doing. They have really good safeties. They confuse a lot of quarterbacks. A lot of quarterbacks have had rough days against the Bills. I think White can play in this league, and I know Salah feels the same way. I do not believe he has soured on White just because of one bad performance, but we all know what's going on here. This year is about getting Zach Wilson experience, allowing him to develop, and now it's time to get back to the business of doing just that. Now, as of Monday, there were still some questions about Wilson's knee. It's been three weeks out since he hurt it against the Patriots. If he's cleared by Wednesday, I suspect he will start against the Dolphins, who will be blitzing, mark this down, who will be blitzing as soon as they get off the bus. 
Now, Jet fans, this is a real treat. We have one of the great pass rushers in NFL history with us. He, of course, you know him as a member, a first round pick of the celebrated draft class of 2000, spent six years with the Jets, 53 and a half sacks. That is number six on their all time list. Played with the Falcons for seven years, the Cardinals for two years. Folks, he has 133 and a half career sacks. That is 13th on the official all-time sack list. This is a real treat for us. Thank you so much, John Abraham, for being on the podcast. Oh, thanks. Um, it's good uh, to hear from you again, Rich. You know, it's been a while, but uh, you always uh, stayed in contact, so that's a good thing. Yeah, it's been a while. Gosh, I remember when you and Sean and Anthony Beck and Chad Pennington and Lavernius all got drafted. I mean, that's I'm I'm making myself old, which I am old, but uh, it's it's good to see, see you guys and hear you guys and 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 hopefully you're doing well. Yeah, it's crazy. It's been 21 years. Uh, time went fast. Like like you said, it's crazy. We just, it seems like it just happened, but uh, it's been a while. But it's been uh good. Um, I think uh one thing we can't say about all four of our picks, all of us uh, had a pretty successful career. Like no one really um. No one like, I guess uh, they did a good job in picking out four good guys, I guess you can say. Yeah, Bill Parcells definitely did a good job in that draft for sure. And, you know, I was looking at your, I mentioned 133 and a half sacks. That's 13th all time. Eight of the 12 guys ahead of you are in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I'm just wondering, and I think some of the other guys like Julius Peppers and Terrell Suggs and DeMarcus Ware, I think they'll eventually get in the Hall of Fame. John, I think you have a Hall of Fame worthy resume. What do you think? Um, I think if uh, I would have played all my games, it would have been solidified. Um, you know, I missed over like 40 some games just off injury. You know, if you if you can take that. I think that had a lot to do with me probably um, leaving the Jets too, you know, just the injuries and stuff. Um, hopefully they can look at that because I played 192 games. Uh, so 192 games, pretty much 12 years of football. <laughs> so I'm looking like, Zach, if I would have, if I could have played, you know, you know, all the rest of the game, I, I definitely think my numbers would have been up and I think it would have been more solidified than me being a Hall of Famer, you know. Yeah, well, I think you're right up there for sure. I mean, you're almost averaged a sack a game. That That's incredible. Uh, Jet fans miss you dearly because whenever they sign a pass rusher or they draft a pass rusher, the first words every Jet fan says, we haven't had a good edge rusher since John Abraham in 2005. <laughs> What's it like? I'm sure you've heard some of this stuff. What's it like when, when Jet fans still remember you that way? Uh, it feels good and it kind of feels bad because I, I know they deserve, you know, another another good pass rusher. It seems like uh, every time the Jets gets a good, good defensive player, we seem to uh, let them go. We did a good job of keeping Revis for a long time, but, uh, you know, it seemed like every time we have a, a quality player, you know, like, uh, I guess me, you know, um, I can just say, like, in my defense, uh, there were a few people that we let go. But uh, Sean stayed there the longest, Sean Ellis, and I think right. Sean did a great job for, um, for, for the Jets while he was there. Yeah, but you're right. They've let guys go like Jamal Adams. They traded Leonard Williams. They traded uh, Darrell Revis. They traded, you know, you. Uh, so they've had some quality over the years. It's just a, they haven't hold, helped even a hold on to them. Uh, John, the Jets are hurting on D. Do you have any snaps left left in you right now? They could sure use an edge guy. <laughs> Man, I wish I could, bro. <laughs> yeah, that's it, you know, it's 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 watching them play. It's just like. 
I, I can't get what's going on. You know, um, I love watching the the Jets and my former teams play now because you know you want to see you want to see production. You want to you want to be able to like when people say how are those Jets doing, you want to be like, man, we're kicking ass. But you know, you kind of got to be like. Well, uh, you know, they'll get it next year. They'll get it next year. You know, kind of tired of seeing seeing that. And, uh, you know, you want to you be, uh, like, capable of, you know, talk a little trash when you talk about your, your ex-teams. Oh, sure, definitely. And two of your ex-teams, the Falcons and uh, the Jets, you know, they got it handed to them on Sunday. You know, that was not a good – the Jets' defense right now is just really at an all-time low. I, I, I know you've watched some Jet games – you know, you played six years with the organization. What's going on with your defense? Uh, you know, and um, you look at teams, you you sit there and try to figure out what's the problem, and mm-hmm. that's what I've been trying to do. Like you said, uh, I think they're missing a a big name pass rusher, and also it seems like the team never is coordinate together. Like I don't know if they still have that leader. Like when Jamal was there, they had you can see the leadership in him. And I'm not saying that the Williams brothers aren't, you know, being great leaders or anything like that, because I'm not in the locker room. But when you see it on the field, the leadership on the field is kind of, you know, not there. We had like Vic Green and we had like Mo Lewis and we had like guys that were vocal and they were strong guys that you can tell that were really standing up. So mm-hmm. when you had a problem or even when you were winning, you had somebody stand up. Right now we have a problem in the defense, but you have nobody standing up and kind of talking about it. You have nobody on defense, you know, coming and saying like, well, you know, this is our issue. We need to straighten up. You don't see it in the media anyway. You might see it in the locker room. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to be a leader, you got to be a leader when you're losing, too. Uh, when you look back at your Jet career, job, what you know, you did spend six years in New York. Um, and, you know, like you, I think you were all pro your second year. You had 13 sacks, six Strip sacks was just an incredible number. What are some of your fonder memories during your time in New York? I think uh, my memories were so like up and down, man. I was still growing up as a person and growing up as an individual. I think I just didn't spend enough time of being grateful of being in the NFL. You know, I didn't I didn't uh, really give my uh, I, didn't, I didn't give the situation a, a good look um, like I really needed to. At the time, you know, I, I wasn't really happy about moving the defensive end. You know, when Herm came in because I was outside linebacker of uh, my and, and I was I was just trying to thrive in it my rookie year and didn't happen to move back down to defensive end. I kind of it kind of it, it kind of messed me up mentally. You know, because, you know, you get drafted to play a position and you work like a year and then I got hurt my rookie year. But even though I um, played well as a DN, I always felt in my heart I was offensive. I mean, outside linebacker. So it was tough those years. You know, um, when I finally went to Atlanta, I kind of got a little more comfortable in the position, you know. So it, it takes it takes a few. It takes a few. But you think about when I was in college, I played three years of DN. Then they moved me to linebacker my mm-hmm. senior year. And then I was, then I got drafted as a linebacker, and then I had to move back to defensive end. And I really didn't think I was a great defensive end, but you know, I end up, I had to, I, I didn't have a lot of, I guess, experience at it, so I had to end up, you know, I was, I was playing it by fly pretty much. So you know, it was, it was kind of tough. So I kind of, re- I, I, I don't regret, but I do definitely wish I would have, you know, prepared a little more to be a defensive end compared to an outside linebacker. <laughs> I remember you as just an immensely gifted young player um, who may have been a little 
wide-eyed when he got to New York uh, in the beginning, uh, like a lot of rookies do. And, you know, I think you always had a good heart. I think, you know, you, you had a couple of off-the-field things, you know, but I always thought you had a good heart, and I just thought maybe you just needed to mature a little bit, um, which you obviously did maybe in Atlanta. Is is that a fair, you know, characterization of your time in New York, just a young kid trying to find his way? I, I would say that, and also I would say um, the pressure for me was more on, with, with some of the coaches I had, you know, they were putting a lot of pressure on a kid that um, kind of never really was a vocal guy. Mm-hmm. So for me, it, it, it became stressful. And, um, you know, like like I told you right now, I'm in, I'm in Colorado now working on my mental health. We didn't really have a lot of things uh, back in the day to really, you know, help us out. Like if you had problems at home or if you had, uh, you know, issues with um, how someone was talking to you or how somebody was treating you, you couldn't really you had no way to, you had no way to, um, I guess, uh, really vent. You know, mm-hmm. you, you just you supposed to play and be that, that kind of player. You know, we had like. We had a we had a certain thing like you could earn a black jersey if you practice hard. So, you know, we had people out here practicing our asses off and then we didn't get a black jersey. So automatically, especially if you were like a a Pro Bowl player and you don't you don't earn a black jersey, it messes you up for the whole game. It's like Mm -hmm. I'm practicing hard as I can, but I can't earn a jersey. So, you know, mentally that would that would take me away from football because it's like, well, I'm, 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 I'm producing on the field, but. I'm not practicing well enough for my coaches, you know? So there was a lot of things that used to get me mentally. And, you know, you understand I've been there for six years and I never, I never like got a Jersey. I'm looking like, dude, like I'm out here, you know, getting three sacks a game and everything, but I can't even get a Jersey in practice. So, you know, it it started um, really showing me, it felt more like it was like I was, I was being called out for, you know, what I did off the field, you know, that one time. And it just drug, it drug me, like, down so bad. Yeah. When I got to Atlanta, yeah, when I got to Atlanta, you know, it felt like a big relief. But I still had a lot of, I guess, insecurities mm-hmm. about, you know, wanting to be a, a great player and everything because I didn't know if I could handle it if it was coming down to that kind of thing that, that I had to be called out for things like that. I always got the sense, and maybe this is me, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe you can correct me, but I always got the sense that Herm Edwards, who was the coach at the time, and you guys didn't quite see eye to eye, and that maybe maybe he did hold that, you know, that off the field, uh, you know, DUI against you and and let it linger on. It, it, what do you think? I, I definitely thought so. I mean, like, you know, I was young and I was dumb. You know, it was, um, there's no excuse for what I did, but also... You know, I've seen other coaches handle it better, especially when you have a player like that. I mean, and I definitely think it uh it it took it took my time away from the Jets. It really killed my time there. Um and you know, I, I held a I held a grudge for my coach for a long time. You know, I'm just letting it go now. It's crazy because I think because him being a black coach and um I felt like he should have had my back a little more. Mm-hmm. You know, like um, even when I came back, you know, yeah, I set out a game, which I found out later that he couldn't really they couldn't like suspend me or anything for a game because of what I did with DUI. You know, um, even when I uh, when I came back for, uh, you know, being franchised, I came back and um, the first game, you know, he set me out of the game for one game just so I couldn't have that start. Yeah. I was like. Yeah, I was just like, damn, I'm like, man, then, you know, even um, from, you know, I know coaches are supposed to tell you what you want to hear, but, you know, telling me I was going to be a Jet, you yeah. know, like, 
that year, like, you know, John, we're going to sign you, you're going to be here. And it, it was just like, dang, I can't even, you know, it, it was, it, it just got real hectic. Like every time I was there, it was just like, like, why am I here? You know, I, I planned on retiring actually after that year, you know, like, cause I, I just couldn't handle the stuff no more. And I didn't, but wow. you know, like back in the day, it was looked as, it was looked upon as weakness more than it was, you know, you know, you got to do a job, you're getting paid well and everything. And, you know, I, I didn't, I really didn't have anyone to talk to. I, I secluded myself the last two years, you know, I stayed in the house. I didn't go, I didn't go anywhere, like literally anywhere at all when I was in New York, because, uh, you know, I was just, I was just so ashamed, you know, I was so ashamed. And, and, um, like you said, that one event, just, I couldn't never get it out of my head when I was there. Like, uh, even when I go to New York now, I still have people will bring that up. And I'm like, you know, I was so young and I'm like, you know, yeah. it, it wasn't an issue. It wasn't an issue that I, I did on purpose, but, uh, it definitely led to other problems, um, later on in life. But, uh, like I said, I'm trying to handle all that stuff now. So it ended, you know, so Herm left and then, you know, Mangini came in and he's the one who traded you to Atlanta in 06. Uh, was that a financial situation? Cause obviously, you know, you were, you were a franchise player at the time. Uh, wh- why do you think that the trade happened? Did you request it or did it just happen from the team? I think everyone knew what was going to happen. I think even you knew like John Abraham, not going to be here. Like, cause yeah. when we, I guess when you saw, uh, they didn't sign me back and they franchised me, I think everybody in their mind kind of knew, you know, I think they're going to move on for Abraham and they're they probably going to try to stick with Brian Thomas and Sean. Uh-huh. So, you know, I was comfortable with it. And also I told him like, I, you know, I, I was ready to go. Like, you know, even that last year, it kind of, I kind of felt like, you know, there's no way I can. Cause like I told you, I, I planned on retiring. Like I had, yeah, I didn't know, I didnn't know that until this now. Yeah, man. yeah. yeah. I, well, cause you know, my, my first contract was five years, 7 million. Mm-hmm. So I played that out. And then like the, my last year I made 6 million. That's more money than I made the whole time I was in the league than one year. So, you know, I, I got my guy and everything. Cause I, like, I really was not even, if you have seen me the last year, I felt so bad because I had no relationship with anyone in the locker room besides, you know, Sean and Lavernius. You know, those was the only two guys I really talked to every day and they knew how I felt and they knew where I was doing, you know. And once they signed Sean, you know, I kind of knew it was like they're not going to keep both of us, you know. So it was just – and, you know, it's crazy that you have to like – and, you know, like me being hurt for most – well, not most of my career, but a lot of years in, in New York, I was so, I, I was like thinking about that. I was thinking about, you know, was I going to get a good deal? You know, and, and, and it goes through your head. You don't, people like people say that I didn't play in the playoff game because of, of like financial thing, but now nah, I still was hurt for my LCL. You know, right. like, that's like even, that's like even when my coach told me to like go out and, and just do it, like go out and practice or go out and, uh, cause, I didn't practice that whole week. And um, I remember. Yeah. Yeah. But during, during that game, they told me to go out and warm up and let them know if I could play, which, you know, it probably been like a six week injury. But I, you know, you say that to try to help the team because they say, you know, they're going to they're going to game plan for you. So we're going to we're going to we know you ain't playing, but we want you to do that. And I did that and it ended up biting me in the ass again. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm like, I can't win. I'm like, every time I do something, I'm like, I'm trying to help the team. But every time I do something, you know, it end up, you know, biting me in the butt. I'm like, you know, so, you know, I hear people saying, well, he quit on the Jets. I'm like, like, come on, y'all. I'm like, like, literally, y'all know I had an injury and like, every, like I don't know why people think automatically that you can just come back from an injury because it's a important game with and it's it's a lcl so for me it's like i'm a pass rusher 
trying to turn the corner would have been like impossible. Like I can run straight, but I couldn't do anything else. But you know, it's a lot of stuff that it's a lot of stuff that build up when I was in New York. And, um, and, uh, like, like I said, I wish I would have had a little bit more information on Mm -hmm. like, working on stuff uh, coping skills pretty much coping skills yeah, and that, that's what I'm working out um now are you okay now John I mean uh, I mean you you alluded to it earlier you're in Colorado it sounds like you're 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 seeking some counseling or some help are you okay how you doing I'm doing I'm doing good man I've uh I've made a lot of uh different changes um, um when I was in Arizona I think uh my last couple of years is when um when I when I started I can like like pinpoint now mm-hmm. i think i think a concussion i had in arizona um when i kind of actually i suffered in it we was playing atlanta mm-hmm. i think that concussion lingered for a few years but i didn't know mm-hmm. because that's when um you know i started having trouble sleeping um i started um i started by drinking real hard um because i couldn't sleep and everything so that was my coping skills and everything so and I let that drag on for probably like six or seven years, man. Cause when I tried to come back and also Arizona tried to help me, they, they knew something was wrong. Like, um, Bruce Aarons and, uh, also the head coach, uh, I mean, not the head coach, I mean, the owner, they knew something was wrong with me and they, they actually sent me to get, uh, help. And, wow. and, uh, but, uh, the place I went to, it, it didn't have anything to do with mental health. Wow. So, you know, and that's what I needed at the moment. You know, I really needed some mental stuff because my mind was everywhere, man. I mean, with the sleeping, with the headaches, with the, but I wanted to, I wanted to finish that year out. My last year, I wanted to finish that year out because I was only eight sacks away from, you know, passing Michael Strahan and being in the top five. Right. So I was like, I got to finish this year out. And, and I, I even had a long conversation with Bruce um, right before the season. I was just like, man, I, I think I need to retire. He was like, well, John, you know, um, just try to play, man. You know, you still got it. You know, you still look good, you know, but just um, just go out there and play. And I end up uh, getting another concussion. And that 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 spiraled me down into probably the biggest depression I ever had in my life compared to my DUI, my first DUI. Um, this depression was so bad. And um, I couldn't um, control anything I did. Like my mind was, I mean, from 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 everything you can think about, like everything that I heard that people said they used to do i was like man this is me i mean from you know punching my walls to car windows uh anything anything you can think of i pretty much did you know like uh, last year was probably the worst and that's when i knew i needed to get help that's when um, the suicidal um, ideation started getting so bad that i knew i had to go get help like it was it was like I shouldn't have been here right now. Like honestly, like how how my mind was and how like the stuff I was doing, like I was getting in altercations for no reason. I couldn't be like in a restaurant because it was too loud, or I would like curse people out for no reason. I, I mean, it was it was bad, man. Like um, this last year, this last year, probably three months, mm-hmm. I've been the probably the most uh, calm I've been in in years, and um, and, and it took a lot. Like it it really took a lot just to to tell myself that, John, you need help. You know, like I kept getting in trouble. I kept like, I've been to jail a couple of times after this. I've been hospitalized. Um, and so now, you know, I'm starting to take meds and uh, and I'm just trying to get better, you know, and, and it took a while. I mean, it took a while because like they say, you have to hit rock bottom 
Um, I don't know if I hit bottom, but I know I was digging for I was digging close enough to to it. So, but I'm feeling a lot better now. Um, I mean, it comes it comes day by day. I just know I can't do a lot of things. I I can't do a lot of things that I did before. John, uh, did it ever? I mean, did you ever like what was the darkest moment? I mean, was there ever a point where you wondered whether you wanted to live anymore? Uh, yeah, the suicidal stuff. Um, suicidal stuff started right out to Arizona, like probably in Arizona. Um, they started in Arizona, but uh, I would that, that's when I started drinking real like heavily so I can go to sleep, you know, because I couldn't sleep. Um, and if I did sleep, I had I had the worst dreams that you could imagine. But um, I think this last past year is when um, the suicidal stuff just got real, you know. Um, and I had that, that's when I had to uh, pretty much put myself in because, uh, you know, I, I got rid of all my guns. Uh, you know, uh, I, like I said, I, I tore, I tore up, a, I tore up my houses, like, you know, like just, just breaking stuff and even the cars and, and, and I probably messed up so many relationships just because of my anger. But, um, I guess the last thing was, uh, you know, I get the, the last effort I did to try to do it was, um, Something I don't really want to talk about, but uh, it, it, it was it, it was a changing point when I woke up when I when I when I got in the hospital and I realized what I tried to do, and I realized that uh, it was time for me to really really get help. And uh, after, that was uh, that was July thirty first, um, August first. Since August first, I've been working on that. Like since August first of last year, um, I've I've totally put my everything into pretty much getting better. Like, um, cause you know, it, that day, that day was so, um, like I, like I said, I shouldn't be here. That day was so, uh, enlightening. Um, that's when I really like, I don't know. I, I think you find a sense of clarity. Mm. My sense of clarity finally just like everything just moved out the way. And, um, it was like, John, you got to get help. And um, that's when I started searching help. Um, I went to treatment then, and I've been to treatment here in Denver twice already uh, at um, APN, and um, it's it's been working. It's um because uh, I think we have a lot of past trauma that we don't talk about. Um, considered um even in life, not even just football, just in life, um, you have trauma that you know might have started. And people ask like John, how many concussions you have? I'm like, hell, I have no clue. <laughs> like, you, yeah. you know, and you, know, you remember back in the day, like football was a lot tougher. You know, you had two a days. We had yeah. real two a days where you get hit, hit, hit. I know, I know for a fact, Randy Thomas gave me at least about three concussions because he was, a, he used to come around that corner and knock the hell out of me. So, you know, it's, it's been a lot. And, you know, uh, and it was easier for, for me because, um, you know, I, I, I had football to get back to. So I guess a lot of the anger and a lot of the issues would come out on the field. Mm -hmm. But uh, I guess when that was gone, like, um, I, I, I remember like probably for the first five years, I used to wake up every morning thinking I had to go to practice. Like literally after I retired, I used to wake up like, like this year, I'm finally like, I can sleep without worrying about going to practice. Cause I used to really literally wake up every morning and then you know, on going to practice. So I used to wake up in a full body sweat or something like I just got out of the game or some crazy stuff. And, you know, I, I always thought that was um stuff that people were just making up to try to get paid or to try to get sympathy. But you know, I went through all that stuff and um, you know, I'm just glad my family and my friends, my close friends, they really uh they really backed me. Um and they they still here, you know, because I've lost a lot of um good friendships and 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 opportunities probably with people. 
just because of, you know, the situation that I couldn't control. Wow. This is, uh, this is pretty powerful stuff. And I think it's great that so many athletes today are focusing on mental health. I mean, a former jet Brandon Marshall, the wide receiver is, you know, he's been an advocate of uh, mental health, you know, and trying to, you know, shine a light on that entire issue. And I think in the past year, I think a lot of athletes um, have, have come to the forefront in that. And so I am so happy to hear that you're getting help. Uh, I think jet fans need to know that I think they remember you as a great pass rusher, but I know you, I knew you when you were 21 years old and you are a really good person deep down. And I hope you never forget that. And I'm sure you have, like you said, you're surrounded by a lot of loved ones and family. And, and I hope, I hope that you get the help you need. It sounds like you're in a good place, John, and that's wonderful to hear. No, no, I appreciate it, Richard. Um, like I said, thank you for always being a friend, man. You know, it's been, um, it was tough to uh, like really talk to people in the media and, um, uh, you know, a lot of times I, I think people don't know like what's going on in people's life outside of football. So they see it as in, you know, this guy's just like a bad seed. And, and I actually tried to portray that when I like after the, like everyone kept calling me bad. I was like, you know, I was like, forget it. I'm just going to be a bad guy. Like, even though I never did anything in my life, you know, so, yeah. but I do, I do appreciate everything. And um, like I said, thank you for um, always uh, having my back. Uh, my pleasure. Uh, and, and Jet fans, I, I know that the Jet fans who were, you know, re remember you play and feel the same way. You're, you're always a good guy. You had one, you know, you had one transgression off the field. Uh, you know, no one's perfect in life. And uh, we really appreciate you joining the podcast and wish you the best of luck out in Colorado. Get get everything you need in terms of help. And hopefully we'll, we'll keep in touch and we'll talk someone somewhere down the road. And, and thank you so much for John being on the podcast. All right. Appreciate it, man. And it's Twitter time. Our first question from at Brian Sternback. Rich, what is the Jets plan with Quinn and Williams? They seem to only view him as a rotational player and are limiting his playing time, even though they have to decide whether or not to exercise his fifth year option after this season. Well, Brian, I can tell you this. They are going to exercise that fifth-year option. Uh, they view Quinn and Williams as a big part of their future. But you are right about the rotational system they have set up on the defensive line, whereas no defensive lineman really plays more than 50% of the snaps, give or take a little bit. Quinnen is one of five on the D-line that has played at least 300 snaps. So it's something... Than we've different than we've seen in the past, but Robert Sala said from day one that he is a believer in rotating defensive linemen to keep them fresh, to make them more efficient. Uh, I think we haven't seen that yet this year, but I think there is a positive to that philosophy. Now, I'm sure Quinnen probably, if you ask him, probably doesn't love it. It's costing him some stats, and stats are important at the bargaining table, and we know he's going to be at the bargaining table perhaps even as soon as 2022. So uh, that's just something to keep an eye on. Next question from Matt Crevo Rich. This is my first submission ever, Rich. Tell me why the Jets should continue to return kickoffs. Their average starting field position is less likely than the 25-yard line. This applies to other teams as well, but the Jets get called for holding an inordinate amount of times. And you were right, Rich. The Jets are actually tied for the league lead with most special teams penalties. They have 13. That is unacceptable. That has to change. They have to clean that up. As for kickoff returns, they're actually one of the better kickoff returns in the league. They average 25 yards per return, which is fifth. 
I think they will continue that. Tevin Coleman is back healthy. I think he's a really good kickoff returner, brings a lot of explosiveness. But you, the whole kickoff thing has changed in the NFL with the with the rule changes. They've really minimized the entire idea of returning kickoffs, which, of course, they did in the name of safety, but takes a little bit of the excitement out of the game. Next, from at Israel DMS, and the question is, why is Rex Ryan so sensitive when it comes to the solid comparison? Rex's last year with the Jets, his defense was ranked 21st in DVOA. And unlike Rex's claim, he did not have a top five defense the year they didn't have any corners. Let me just say this. This is obviously a reference to the war of words that is going on between Ryan and Sala. Ryan started it on Monday morning on an ESPN radio interview when he really ripped Sala, his coaching ability, and said he was insulted about being compared to Sala. Here's the genesis of that comparison. Over the summer, a Sports Illustrated reporter named Connor Orr, who is a friend of mine and I think a very good journalist, he wrote about Sala saying that he's a lot like Rex Ryan because of their defensive background and success on that side of the ball, except he doesn't have all the baggage that Rex brings to the table. Obviously, Rex got wind of that. He took umbrage with it, and that's why he was uh, claiming that he was insulted by the Sala comparison. Uh, this is a, a bizarre story. You do not expect a current jet coach and a former jet coach to be exchanging barbs at each other publicly. But I mean, that's what this season has uh, uh, devolved to. Next question at Wick Sachs one. Could we see Dalla, Sala and Douglas getting fired? I understand it's Sala's first year, but this team looks worse than Gase's team. Douglas has done a great job with getting picks, but his draft picks have turned into nothing. I disagree with that last part. I think this is a good draft for Douglas. Obviously, the jury is still out on Zach Wilson, but AVT, Elijah Moore, Michael Carter, those are three of the better players on this year's team. I had an executive recently tell me that AVTs, they're already their best offensive lineman, and Carter is their most consistent offensive player. I think he's done a good job with this year's draft. Now, last year's draft, 2020, is another story. A lot of question marks there. And uh, as for Sal, no one is getting fired after this year. Now, there might be some coaches, maybe even a coordinator that gets fired after this year. But Sala and Douglas are not going anywhere. This is a rebuilding year. The Johnson family is already paying so many head coaches. They're still paying Adam Gase. Uh, you know, they're paying Sala, of course. They didn't, do not want a third coach on the payroll. So for many, many reasons, neither one of these guys is going anywhere. You can count on that. And a question from at Boy Green 25. When does Robert Sala take responsibility to say he's sorry that Ulbricht's, the Ulbrich situation isn't working? And when will he grab the reins to start calling the defense? Well, Paul, as of Monday, Robert Sala said he has no designs on taking over the play calling on defense. Now, he did make an interesting comment, which I hadn't heard before. He said there part of the problem could be that they're trying to blend his defense, which is basically a San Francisco-style defense, and the Atlanta defense, which Ulbrich brought from the Falcons. Basically, it's the same defense, but there are some nuances, and they're trying to mold it into one. That could be some of the problems they're going through right now. But in terms of play calling, Salah said basically anyone can call plays. It's not that big a deal in this particular defensive system. Be that as it may, look, the scrutiny is going to be very, very intense if this continues, and you can bet that there will be some changes 
at the end of the year if the Jets finish 32nd in defense. And our last question comes from at Joe Piacente. Piacente. Uh, does Sala do much coaching during the games? It seems like he's always standing silent with his arms crossed and not talking to anyone. Is he doing anything on the sidelines that the fans can't see during the broadcast? Joe, I understand the question, but a few months ago, weren't all Jet fans during the coaching surf claiming they wanted the CEO type coach, you know, the overseer who would oversee the offense, defense and special teams and not be intimately involved in the play calling? That's what you have in Robert Sala. So, no, he's not calling plays during the game. He's listening to all the headphones, all the conversations that are going on with offense and defense. And he certainly has veto power and he offers suggestions as he does the entire week with the defense in particular. He does sit in on defensive meetings, but he's not actively, you know, calling the game on a play by play basis. So, that's why it might look like he's not doing much, but he is. He's overseeing. He's managing the sideline. He's managing the team. Now, is it going well? No, of course not. It's not going well. In fact, that was a, an egregious delay of game penalty that they took on fourth and one against Buffalo on Sunday. That's inexcusable. And so I think that falls on him as the game manager. But I don't think you can criticize him for not doing anything. He's doing his job. He just has to do it more effectively and get his coordinators to do a better job. That's the end of this week's show. I want to thank our guest, John Abraham, the ex-Jet, for stopping in, sharing his thoughts on his journey and his battle that he's uh, going through right now, and we wish him all the best. Thanks to producer Jeff Scopin. We'll talk to you next week on Flight Deck.